If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A listener note, this story contains adult language and some graphic descriptions of violence. Previously on Carruth. Somebody said something about the Carruth trial starts tomorrow. And I said a few words because I realized that's when I had gotten deferred to. Firing five bullets point-blank range into Sharika Adams' body, all the elements of premeditation are there. She was the strongest witness for herself to her own murder. Ray's probably saying in his head that there was a, a bad plan also. No, actually he's saying he didn't do this, Mr. Kennedy, and that you're a liar. They were going to use Van Brett Watkins, and I'm just sitting here thinking... But that ain't gonna work out so good for you. I would rip you like a rag doll. Probably the most unhappy guy in that courtroom was Gentry. They were afraid they were gonna lose the case. Down the hallway from courtroom 3301 in Charlotte's Criminal Courts Building, there's a meeting room tucked in the back. Away from the lawyers, the parents, and the media scrum engulfing everything around the Ray Carruth murder trial. The one window in the room looked out onto a parking garage. The 12 men and women of the jury gathered around a long gray table, about to decide Carruth's fate in the killing of Sharika Adams. You know, we had four things that we had to discuss. They had been charged with four different items. This is Clark Pennell, one of the jury members. And... I've read after the fact that people out in the hall said we were yelling and we were doing this and we were doing... And I took exception to that. We all had been stifled for three months. (laughs) We all wanted to talk at once. (laughs) I wanted to make my point. She wanted to make her point. He wanted to make his point. It was like sitting around with family, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner and everybody's talking at one time. It was basically that. For those three months, jurors had passed the time there during breaks in the trial by playing cards or working on a puzzle or sometimes just counting down until they had lunch at a nearby restaurant called Shomar's. 
the only way I knew it was a circus because we could look out the window and see what was going on outside. We were kind of confined to the jury room, and then at lunch, you know, we gave Shomars a lot of business, and occasionally some of us would bring our lunches and we'd go hide out in the park and, and eat because if you didn't, people would come up. Yeah. Did people so, try to, did anybody try to bother you? People did try, and I guess it was people that had come to the trial and they'd see us headed to show Mars or whatever. Well, hold on, wait, 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 And, you know, we'd just turn our heads and, and keep going, which is what we were instructed to do. And after going that far, I don't think any of us wanted to get kicked off the jury for doing something stupid. There was no TV in that room and no newspapers were allowed either. The jurors had their own private bathroom. When they threw away notes, they tore them up first before giving them to the court officer. And there Pennell sat among a lawyer, a banker, a homemaker, a fraud investigator, and the others who made up Carruth's jury, scribbling a stream of thoughts into court-provided notebooks. The judge told us before the trial started, he said there was going to be a lot of stuff said, done, a lot of actions. He said, you're going to need to remember everything that happens. So I recommend that you take as good a notes as you can. So I went through the first 80 pages, and then I flipped it over and started coming back on the next 80 pages. And then I went to book two, started on page 161. In a way, after three months, that jury room had come to feel like a prison of its own. And on January 16, 2001, the jurors themselves were handed the key. Lawyers for Ray Carruth and the state of North Carolina completed their closing arguments. For Pennell and the other men and women of the jury, only one thing stood in their way of going home. They simply had to answer the question, should Ray Carruth live or die? From the Charlotte Observer in McClatchy Studios, this is Carruth. I'm Scott Fowler, and this is Chapter 6, The Verdict and the Miracle. In its closing argument, the prosecution argued Carruth was the mastermind responsible for Sharika's killing. The defense claimed her shooting was retribution for a large-scale drug deal gone wrong. If Ray had just paid us the money, none of this would have happened. As the drama shifted to that back room, Judge Charles Lamb first instructed the jury to pick a foreman. Most observers presumed it would be Herb Brown, a lawyer for 37 years himself and one who'd even tried cases against the lead prosecutor, Gentry Caudill. But Brown wanted no part of the job. I never did get into any uh, contest with anyone else to try to be the foreman, and I, I prefer not to because I think it would appear, had I been a foreman, being an attorney with as much experience that, as I had then, that the people may get the idea, well, why'd you have that one lawyer there when his other 11 jurors, they may have been more puppet-like. And I, I did not want that to happen. The attorney recruits himself immediately, uh, at which we all thought was probably a good idea because he said, if I'm jury foreman, whatever verdict we come out with is going to be torn to bits. And he said, I just don't think that it would be in 
fair interest to me or to the jurors for me to be the jury foreman. Pennell was 52 years old and worked at a Charlotte charity called Crisis Assistance Ministry. He'd actually served on a jury in a murder case before, though not as the foreman. But this time, Pennell was elected foreman in a secret ballot. After I was elected, we uh, said, well, we don't need to vote on anything right now. We need to just kind of get our thoughts about us. So we all started going through our notebooks. And then I said, okay, give me some some input. What are your thoughts? Next, the jury needed to reach unanimous agreement on each of the four charges Carruth faced. First-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, using an instrument with intent to destroy an unborn child, and discharging a firearm into occupied property. Everyone was very composed in, in our deliberations. There was no unkind words said to any one juror. This is Brown again. The problem was, well, Ray Carruth wasn't the actual trigger man who shot and killed the victim. Sharika Adams was her name. In North Carolina criminal cases, prosecutors can recommend the charges to be brought against the defendant, and the defense can even weigh in. But the exact crimes Ray Carruth was charged with were determined by Judge Lamb, who died in 2016. Both sets of lawyers told me they agreed with Lamb's charges. Judge Lamb told us what he intended to charge on, and that was first-degree murder or not guilty. And the reason is, and Judge Lamb was following the law and correctly doing so. This is Gentry Caudill, the lead prosecutor in the case. All the evidence was that this murder was done with premeditation, deliberation, and specific intent to kill. There's no reason, no justification for submitting anything but first-degree murder by way of premeditation. So it was first-degree or not guilty as to the murder charge. The jury was given a verdict sheet to fill out for each charge, writing down guilty or not guilty on each of the four pieces of paper. Well, we, uh, we took votes on uh, various charges. Some members of the jury had their minds mostly made up, including an insurance underwriter in his late 50s whose name was Jerry Karst. We had only one choice for the murder charge, which was murder in the first degree. At one point, I asked a question, uh, is there anybody in here who doesn't think Carruth is up to this and up to his eyeballs? And uh, everybody said, yes, they agreed that he was. In the jury room, they weren't buying defense attorney David Rudolph's theory that Sharika had been killed over a drug deal. I've seen his uh, most recent staircase set on Netflix and my impression of David was that he came up with an alternate set of possibilities that were never backed up by anything in the testimony that I ever heard. He said it could possibly have been a, a drug deal gone bad. None of the testimony even hinted at that. But Pennell remembers that for two days, the jurors disagreed on what to do with that interpretation. We decided that we would take a preliminary vote and we were not unanimous on any of the four items. And so we talked about it a little bit more, and um, I think I said, now that we've talked some more, should we vote again? And somebody said, no, I don't think we should vote again because from what I've heard, we're not at the point where anybody's gonna change their mind. 
Pennell says that gradually the jury agreed on the three lesser charges. As we got more into the trial and as we got into deliberations, we kept going back to that 911 call. Okay, can you tell what part of your body you shot on? We just couldn't wrap our hands around why would she say some of the things she said at this moment if they weren't true. And I was kind of thinking to myself how you couldn't help but believe her seemed almost impossible to me. So I think in the overall picture, that was probably 90% of why I voted the way I voted. But the murder charge caused problems. Of the four conspirators in Sharika's killing, Carruth had been the first to go on trial, but not the first to resolve his case. Van Brett Watkins, who actually shot Sharika, had already pleaded guilty to second-degree murder. Carruth had declined the same plea deal, and now this first-degree murder charge came with a potential death sentence. That set jurors like Herb Brown and Jerry Karst at odds. I didn't think Ray Carruth was guilty of first-degree murder. If the trigger man were guilty of second-degree murder, why would we convict someone else of first-degree murder who was not the trigger man? I mean, that's how that case played out. I think he should have been convicted of first-degree murder, and uh, everything that we saw in court backed that up. Everybody's story was the same. Sharika's 911 call and her later statements in the hospital uh, I don't think would be sufficient to convince me that Carruth was the perpetrator, but everything else along with it. I mean, David Rudolph didn't come up with any good alternative explanation for the facts that we had. I would have voted for the death penalty in this case. Uh, He certainly did everything that uh, is required for that type of a conviction. After two days of deliberations, Pennell told Judge Lamb the jury was at an impasse. But at the tail end of a three-month-long trial, the judge was having none of it. Lamb sent them back to the jury room to keep working. So we went back, and we sat down, and and we had another couple of hours of very good deliberation. So we broke for the night, but before we broke, I said, now, tomorrow's Friday. We do not have to make a decision just because it's Friday. I said, you know, the whole world's sitting out there waiting on us to make a decision, but... If we don't feel comfortable tomorrow morning when we come in about voting, we're not going to. I said, let's all go home, get as good a night's rest as you can, think about all the things that have happened the last two or three days, but most especially what's happened in these last two to three hours. And let's come back tomorrow morning and we'll continue our discussion. By the fourth day, the only remaining question was whether to convict Carruth of first-degree murder. Everybody really seemed to be more refreshed and had a little bit of a a bounce in their step, and we deliberated probably up until lunchtime, and then we came back, and I think that's when we voted, and uh, we all called our spouses or significant others that we wanted to call and said, 
turn on the television, it's going to happen within the next hour. The jury returned the unanimous verdict as follows, that the defendant, Ray Lamar Carruth, is guilty of discharging a firearm into occupied property, guilty of using an instrument with intent to destroy an unborn child, guilty of conspiracy to commit murder of Sharika Adams, but not guilty of the first-degree murder. The verdict left everyone stunned. Carruth had been effectively declared guilty of masterminding Sharika's killing, but found not guilty of her actual killing. He wouldn't get the death penalty, but he would spend years in prison. Karst acknowledges the punishment was either the best of both worlds or the worst. Uh, We were not permitted uh, to consider second-degree murder. We said, okay, we'll agree that he's guilty of all the lesser charges, but we'll say we cannot convict on first degree. That's what we came out with in the end. Caudill didn't like it a bit. He was about to become a judge himself, so this was his last case as a prosecutor. Looking back over his sterling legal career, this is one verdict that clearly still bothers him. The judge followed the law. The jury didn't. The court... Uh, instructed them that if they found Carruth was acting in concert with Watkins and the co-defendants in their common scheme to ambush and murder Sharika Adams, uh, then he would be guilty of first-degree murder by way of acting in concert. And, or, if you will, if they found that uh, Carruth aided, uh, instigated, procured uh, Watkins to murder Sharika Adams, or uh, fire into her occupied vehicle, then he would be as guilty of first-degree murder as Watkins. And they found him guilty of conspiracy to commit murder, aiding and abetting, if you will, acting in concert. They found him guilty of firing into an occupied vehicle, felony murder. If you find those, then you have to find first-degree You don't have to. The jury didn't have to do anything, but you know, if they follow the law, if they follow their oath, to apply the law as given to him by the judge, then one would follow the other. They did not follow the law. Pennell completely rejects that framing. I think the state made a huge error by not giving us the option of second-degree murder. We, we all knew that he was part of it. But with him not pulling the trigger, in good conscience, we couldn't say first degree. If they had said second degree, I'm 99% sure we would have done that. I know I would have. Yeah. But you got to go with the options you're given. Sure. As we were told numerous times, we're not allowed to deviate from the instructions that were given to us. Carruth's defenders were equally upset. His mother told ABC's 2020 that her son was punished for, quote, the sins of O.J. People down here feel that professional athletes have gotten away with too much, the Audrey Carruth said. They had to punish him for something. They punished him for O.J. Simpson. Even Rudolph agreed with Caudill in a narrow sense. How do I feel about the verdict now, looking back on it? You know, at the time, I was disappointed. You know, it was an inconsistent verdict. I thought, you know, we had a very good chance of winning that case. Um, So uh, I was disappointed. Looking back on it now, I think in some strange way, the jury sort of figured it out and sort of compromised to a place that, you know, even Ray can accept, okay, I get it. 
I, I, I'm responsible for this situation, so I needed to pay a price. And so, you know, the jury probably got it right uh, with, with what they came up with. And, you know, that was a death penalty case. So that, that was, a, you know, looking back on it, that's a win. You know, I mean, Ray is walking out of prison in October. You know, in, in a lot of ways, we sort of won that case. The day after his conviction, Carruth spent his 27th birthday in jail. Two days after that, Judge Lamb sentenced him to at least 19 years in prison. That hearing was the first time in the entire trial the court heard from Sharika's mother, Sandra. I am forgiving Ray Carruth. I can't hate Ray Carruth because he is part of my grandson. But in no way, Judge Lamb, do I think that he should get off easy for what he's done. Caudill remembers another moment of her grace. There was no winner in this case. I mean, it was a, just a tragedy all around. And um, after the verdict, she asked us to join her in a room outside the courtroom. She and some other friends and relatives, I guess, formed a circle. And she prayed. Prayed for us. Prayed for Ray Carruth. Prayed for Van Brett Watkins. It was an incredibly moving moment. I'll never forget, yeah. Regardless of the verdict, Sandra was still left to cope with the loss of her only child. Whether he got 19 years like he did, or if he would have gotten closer to 40 years like Van Brett did, Tarika is still dead and is not bringing her back. So I'm not wasting my emotion on what date he gets out. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. 
Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Caruth has spent every day since in prison. The verdict survived every appeal. At least once a week for the past 14 years, Sandra and Chancellor have come here to the busy Child and Family Development Center in South Charlotte. Hey. This is the reality left behind once the verdicts were read and the public moved on. Privately, there was still a young man coping with severe physical and intellectual disabilities. He has irreversible brain damage suffered the night he was born, when his mother was shot by the killer his father hired. And with him every step of the way has been Sandra Adams, his beloved grandmother. They were the ones left behind in the aftermath of the verdict, clinging to their faith and to each other. Sandra has been Chancellor Lee's primary caregiver from the beginning and knows she will be for as long as she lives. She's embraced her role as G-Mom, partly, of course, because she sees so much of her daughter and her grandson. But she was so determined that she was not going to die out on that street, that she was going to get help and deliver her child. She was so focused on, you know, just her baby. She showed so much determination, and so did Chancellor, because he could have had a weak spirit and not really fought to live like he did. But he was determined as well that he was going to live. And I think he's been determined since that time that he will live and be the best chancellor that he can be. Because chancellor does not think he's disabled. He is abled differently. So he does not conduct himself like a helpless person. And so I see Sharika coming through that fight and that determination. Of course, Sandra also sees someone else in Chancellor Lee's smile. And I must give credit to Ray Carruth because I think Ray has some of those same qualities. You couldn't make it to the NFL just being mediocre. And so that strong athletic ability that Chancellor has and he displays when he's doing his therapy and it's not even just therapy, it's the day-to-day task that we take so much for granted that he has to put so much effort into doing. Uh, I think it's just great that he displays that drive and that tenacity. And I've been lucky to see that tenacity in person over the years. For the most part, Sandra has kept her grandson shielded from the media. Partly that's due to his past, but also because she doesn't want to overwhelm a teenager with significant disabilities. Chancellor Lee knows a number of words, but speaks very few complete sentences. He recently learned to count to 100 by tens. His speech can be hard to understand, unless you're around him a lot. But periodically, and especially over the past few years, 
She's offered me extended glimpses into Chancellor Lee's life. Hey, Lee. Hey. You ready? For instance, when he does therapeutic horseback riding at Misty Meadows Farm just outside of Charlotte. Now pull back and say, whoa. Whoa. Good job, Lee. What are some of your favorite things to do? Horseback riding. Horseback riding. Do you have a favorite horse? Well, Raider, I think I saw you on Raider. One mm-hmm. time. Yeah. What do you say, Lee, when you want the horse to move? Walk. Walk on. And what about when you want the horse to stop? Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, you do that one good. Whoa. <laughs> and here at Child and Family Development, where Chancellor Lee sometimes simply walks the halls, although there's nothing simple about walking for a young man with cerebral palsy. And we had a phase where we counted every steps, one, two, three, to see what kind of number he can get to, but you know, now, now we don't have to count steps anymore. Amy Sturkey has been his chief physical therapist since he was five. He used to knee walk everywhere in his home. Do you still knee walk sometimes? No. Now he tries starting to walk some independently. Doctors had predicted Chancellor Lee might never walk at all. Today, he walks by himself, with the aid of a walker, or with a gentle hand to hold. His steps are deliberate and often flat, which also makes them somewhat noisy. Hey. Come on, Lee. Yeah. When you have cerebral palsy, you tend to move in more simplified patterns. And some of it actually mimics early development. Early kids, when they walk, they walk kind of like this. And he's still a young walker, relatively speaking, so he tends to walk this way with leg up and leg down. But we walk by flexing our hip, extending our knee, and dorsiflexing our foot. So we don't walk with hip flexion, knee flexion, like toes come like, like that, like a, like a little baby walks. Okay. And it uh, puts a lot more pressure on your joints, and it sets you up to be more likely to lose your balance. So we're working on a heel-toe gait pattern. And because that, you often can hear Lee coming. They told me early on, the neurologist was like, he would never walk. And so we can take the stamping and the marching. It is a wonderful sound to me. I love to hear him him coming. (laughs) (laughs) After walking the hallway, Chancellor Lee often heads through a side door for a trickier test, the stairs. We first started off working on doing two feet on every step. Now we're working on one foot on every step. Now he has to take turns with his feet. Great job. Sturkey leads Chancellor Lee to a small trampoline and helps him balance while he bats balloons back to whomever tosses them. He's going to hit it back. Okay, so he hits it back. Okay. On this particular day in 2016, it was me. It was like a volleyball spike. Oh, nice. <laughs> then it's on to what Sturkey calls elbow extensions. All right, I want those elbows up. Let's go. Basically push-ups on a red and yellow gym mat near the wall. Elbow extensions. Keep going. Keep going. All the way. Come on. He'll do ten of these. Nice. The determination required for those push-ups is apparent. All the way. Ten. Yeah. All right. Very good. Yeah. And there's another unmistakable sight. Chancellor Lee's arm muscles literally bulge out from the sleeves of his purple polo shirt. Do you like um, going to therapy? Do you like yeah. That? Yeah. Okay. You like Miss Amy? 
Yeah. Are you strong? Yeah. yeah. Having worked his larger muscles, Chancellor Lee sits with occupational therapist Abby Wash to hone his smaller ones. Nice job, buddy. Nice job. All right. For 15 minutes, he'll practice scooping food out of a bowl with a spoon. I mean, look at these muscles on this oh, I, know. I mean, he's got crazy, totally. crazy big muscles. Yeah. But the brain's telling those muscles to overwork. Mm. So he's really relying on a lot of these big muscles to make these small movements happen. Oh, so that's yeah. why he's doing that lean here. We're working on when he brings it to his mouth, really using the shoulder rather than you and I are just going to keep it from the elbow down. Okay. He needs to use those big muscles because that's where he has the majority of his control. So oh, that's why he's okay. doing things like leaning this way. That's why he's got that shoulder going. The whole body has to get into scooping a pee. Next, Wash helps Chancellor Lee practice writing his name, which starts with opening the plastic container of markers. Remember how you can hold the base of it? Remember that part? You got it on there, and I'll help you hold it down, and then pop that lid open. Oh, don't give up, don't give up! Keep popping. You know if you need me, you know what to say, right? Yeah. Okay. So if he's got things, containers at home he needs to open, dressing, food stuff, that kind of thing, coordinating his hands to get what he needs out of it. Oh, perfect yeah. job, it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice job, buddy. <laughs> so what color? Purple. It's purple day. Are y'all themed up today? Purple, yeah. purple. Yes. Don't they look good? Sandra believes Chancellor Lee got that fashion sense from his mother. She loved to dress up everything. Had to be, you know, just neat and everything. And Chancellor has a lot of those qualities. Chancellor is so particular about his clothing, and he'll tell you he doesn't feel like wearing a certain color. And oh goodness, don't let him be eating and get a little something on his clothes. She was the same way. She would go and change. Now, he just has to get it wiped off. <laughs> G-Mom doesn't have time for all that. <laughs> for the next 10 minutes, he'll work on writing his name with a big purple marker that matches his bright polo shirt. And this slant board gives him a little better control of his arm, too. So start with first name, okay? Okay, now just go for it. And we've got a couple more papers on here. If you need to do it a couple of times, you can do it a couple of times, okay? Okay. No big deal. Look at you stopping yourself when your arm got out of control there. That's so good. That is beautiful. Yeah. Now, gentlemen, wow. can you read that one? Now, that is perfect. I'm going to yeah, take a picture just of that. He's really, usually he just saves the excitement for at the end when he gets it. Today, he's so excited you're here that he's just going to do that the whole time. <laughs> you should know that Lee's attitude during therapy is phenomenal every single week, no right. matter what's going yeah. on. I mean, it's like... You could be having a bad day in here. If you're lucky enough to be working with Lee, then never mind. The ongoing reality of raising a special needs child is obviously more nuanced than that. Chancellor Lee will likely always require a caregiver. Don't give up. Don't give up. Oh, perfect job. perfect. I asked Sandra about that during one of Chancellor Lee's therapy sessions. I remember it like it was just yesterday, sitting in the doctor's offices, uh, the team of medical staff was there telling me all the things that he won't be able to do. He won't walk. He won't talk. He's not going to be able to feed himself. You know, every part of his brain was affected. So, you know, we may be looking at someone that's uh, bed-bound. And, you know, under my breath, I was rejecting every last word of it. And he is talking. 
not as clearly as you know I believe he will but I understand him his teachers understand him when you're around him and I always say he's in the smile ministry you know he's already walking in his call and he he just smiles and lights up the room and and puts people at ease and you know and he's happy he literally wakes up in the morning smiling and he goes to bed he's still smiling he has taught me more about how to love unconditionally the best lesson that I could have ever learned in life so you know when I think of the whole package of Chancellor Lee and now how he's really coming into his own with his moral independence and I'm just just grateful I'm just grateful There's no doubt she's right about the joy her grandson brings to others. I know I feel it when he gives me a hug, which he's done before and after every one of our interviews over the years. Sometimes you just got to give you this big hug, like, I don't know what to do. I'm just so excited I did that. (laughs) And on this day, anyway, everything was going right for him. In Wash's hardest test, she sits Chancellor Lee in front of a mirror and tells him to button his own collar. By his standards, he does it extremely fast. So fast, in fact, she almost misses it because she's answering one of my questions. I mean, it's taken us a good 15 minutes to do the button. Wow. We do sometimes three buttons in a session, and not one complaint from this guy, not really? one ounce of loss of focus, anything. I mean, just amazing, right? Well, you know yeah. what? I, I timed that one. It was two and a half. Two and a half? <laughs> yeah. Two and a half? Oh, my God. <laughs> And that calls for a celebratory dance to what else but the Pharrell Williams smash hit, Happy. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of the four men responsible for Chancellor Lee's disabilities, only Carruth went to trial. Michael Kennedy pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and served nearly 11 years in prison. He was released in 2011 and declined to participate in this project, but his lawyer, James Exum, did speak with me. He feels like it's a bad chapter in his life and wants to move on from it, and I, I understand that. Um, and I think, again, uh, you know, Michael's non-participation is that he feels very bad about that. He knows he stepped out of his normal character and not so much wants to forget it because that's impossible, but again wants to have that behind him and move forward. Stanley Abraham served a little less than two years after his own plea deal. He got out in 2001. Yet somehow the conspirator Sandra felt the most connection to is the man who shot her daughter, Van Brett Watkins. He'll be in prison until at least 2046, if he lives that long. I told Sandra that I'd been to visit him recently in prison. Is he doing okay? Seems to be doing okay. Yeah. Is he? Because I know he had some health issues, he, and I was concerned. He's on a cane. Is he? And he does have some health issues, but they're not like critical okay. care things. They're more bothersome, like he's mm-hmm. got, you know, his hip or okay. arthritis. But Carruth is the man who will forever cast his shadow over this saga. With every step Chancellor Lee takes, the teenager moves farther away from his father's legacy and the awful circumstances of his birth. Then again, maybe that's something mostly outsiders like me worry about. As he scribbled his name in purple marker at that therapy session, That looks a little better. Chancellor Lee grinned from ear to ear, as he usually does. This is going to be your warm-up one, so just do your best. Then we're going to flip it over, and then we're going to do another one. Uh, Once you get going, sometimes it gets easier. I asked Sandra at that session how much Chancellor Lee knows about his father. Now that there's more, you know, we have video. You know, I'll show him the video, and he sees his dad, and I have one of Ray's football pictures. I have it in his album with his birth certificate and everything so he could see his parents because I, I want him to know that you were formed in love. To me, there are no illegitimate children. There are illegitimate circumstances. And I always explain to him that your dad just did a bad thing. He's paying for it now. Given the severity of his mental disability, I asked her if Chancellor Lee understands where his father is right now. 
Well, I I don't think he really has a total concept Mm -hmm. of what that means. He's watched some shows with um, people behind bars in prison, Mm -hmm. and I'll tell him, you know, now this is where your daddy is. He's locked up like this. And so, I mean, I think he understands to a degree, but, you know, maybe not. And maybe that's a good thing. So he don't really know how that works. Soon, Caruth will be a free man, and a new media storm is already taking shape. Once again, the reality for Sandra and her grandson will surely get harder before it gets easier. So when they recently visited our offices, I had a few more questions for Chancellor Lee about life inside his smile ministry. Chancellor, you want something? Yeah. <laughs> Just going to pin it on here, okay? Oh. Okay, you don't have to do anything. We're on this side, too, okay? Wow. Okay, so we can hear you with the microphone, so that way when we talk to you, our cameras can hear you. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Chapstick. Chapstick. He's like, Mom, he's standing dry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now that's much better. Would, would you count for us? Can you count? One, two, three, four, five. Okay, ready? Okay. Okay. So let's start by you telling me your name. We, I go. Lee Adams? Yeah. Now, what do you call your grandmother? Gilbert. G-Mom? Yeah. Yeah. And what do you call your mother? Mommy. Mommy Angel, that's right. Do you like church? Yeah. What is your motto at church? I can do. I can do. Anything. I can do. Because. God. God is with me. I can do anything because God is with me. That's great. Gosh, I'm glad you told me that. What do you like to watch on TV? Steve Harvey. Steve. Okay, Steve. Steve Harvey. Yeah. Do you like going places? Go places. Where have you been that you really like? Colorado. Colorado. Oh. Mm-hmm. And who went to college at Colorado? Ray. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. Do you know what Ray looks like? Yeah. Who do you look like? Fat Angel. Mommy Angel. He looks like Mommy Angel. That's right. But a lot of people think you look oh. like your dad. Yeah. You look yeah. like Ray. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of both. Yeah. So you look like Ray a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know where your father is now? Yeah. Where? Where? That's right. And do you know that what's going to happen to him pretty soon? Get out. Get out. That's right. That's right. Would you like to meet your father? Yeah. What would you do? If you met your father, hey, you gonna say hey? Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm Scott Fowler, and this podcast is produced by Jeff Siner and Rachel Wise and Davin Coburn at McClatchy Studios. Find lots more about this case at CharlotteObserver.com/slash Caruth, and for just thirty dollars, 
Subscribe now to a full year of the Observer's award-winning sports coverage at charlotteobserver.com slash sportspass. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can reach me directly at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. In Chapter 7, The Long Road to Forgiveness and Everything That Comes After. My fault is that I didn't do like a hitman should do, kill everybody on the scene. I think I'm a grandmom that would do what she is supposed to do in the face of tragedy. Well, have you been on vacation, son? Great, great, yeah. Where have you been? Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that always happens when I talk about them. I'm just so thankful that I can associate November 16th with the day my grandchild was born, our miracle boy. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.